I don't know if you recognize these names or not, but I'm going to throw them out there. Christopher and Peter Hitchens. And these guys are brothers, uh, direct brothers, as in they have the same dad and same mom. And the former is a uh, famous atheist and political and cultural uh, critic uh, who passed away about seven or eight years now in the time I'm recording this, I think in 2012. And the latter, Peter, is his younger brother, who is an outspoken theologian and Christian. So hearing that, you kind of would go, all right, here are two men raised in the same home, same mom and dad, and they are completely different as far as the ideological spectrum is concerned. One of them uh, is a materialist or was a materialist, uh, a naturalist who believed in evolution and the, the human mind and the ability to uh, troubleshoot and all their kinds of things like that, rejecting the ideas of religion or faith and, and the idea of God. And meanwhile, his younger brother would go on to write several books about the case for God, speaking at universities about the case for God, and writing about the case for God. In fact, I think one of Peter's books is called The Rage Against God. So how on earth does this happen? How do two men with the same mom and dad, so virtually very similar bloodlines, grow up and become adversarial in terms of their philosophies? How does that happen? How does their story add up to this? It almost seems like a really bad or really good uh, movie uh, or uh, a really good biopic. I, I think one day there should be a good documentary done on these gentlemen. But the question remains, how does that happen? Well, today on The Narrative Wars, uh, I'm going to be talking about how we develop our filters and more specifically, how we develop our worldview filters here on The Writer's Lens. I'm Josh J.C. Alfelto, and these are The Narrative Wars. I hope that at some point you look up those two gentlemen that I mentioned here in this intro, uh, Christopher and Peter Hitchens, as their their life stories are really fascinating. Uh, I mean, Peter, uh, who is still alive at the time that I'm recording this and hopefully will be for many years to come, uh, just their whole relationship is something I find really fascinating. I mean, me, myself, having five brothers, three of which are half-brothers, and two that are full-blooded brothers— it's uh, it's interesting how so many of us uh, within that group of six are so alike in the way that we look at our world and interpret it, and then maybe one or two of us are just a you know uh, hair different here, or hair different there, or whatever it is. But you know, upbringing has a lot to do with it, uh, and genetics has a lot to do with it. You know, it's the old nature versus nurture. But I don't want to go down the rabbit hole with uh, <laughs> with me and my family. I want to stick to this topic about, you know, how we develop our worldview filters and tying this into storytelling specifically, because one of the things that I try to set out to do with any story that I write is to create some kind of compelling story that will revolve around a character that will go through some kind of powerful and personal transformation. That's one of the hallmarks of a really good story. And it's otherwise known as a character arc. So you've probably heard this term used before where uh, there's an arc of a story, there's the arc of a character. It essentially means the journey of an individual who sets out on something. There could have been an incident. Uh, It's also called an inciting incident, 
where something is thrown out of balance and then the hero or protagonist has to rise up and go on a journey of self-transformation, self-discovery, self-awareness, and returns later having become a different person, but not like a wholly different person, but maybe sees the world a bit differently than what he or she did before or prior. Now, these experiences, these journeys that we go on, can have all kinds of effects upon us. I mean, they can change our worldview uh, specifically. They can change the way we, uh, you know, we interact with others or what our motivations might be. Uh, for me as a writer, personal transformation is where it's at. Because you could have the most kick-butt setting. You could have, the, you know, the greatest mythology built around your characters. But you have to have likable. I mean, I guess they don't have to be totally likable, but they have to be relatable and interesting characters in order for your story to resonate with people. And it's one of those things that just uh, can really blow past, I think, a lot of maybe amateur creatives, uh, even myself. I mean, I'm not claiming to be an absolute, you know, an absolute expert in this area, but I do know that it's true. I mean, think of any great story you've ever read or you've watched. I mean, my wife and I just saw Avengers Endgame this weekend. Finally, it's June of 2019. We finally saw Endgame. And it's it's well told. It's a it's a really well told story to end, you know, ten plus years of film and you know different mediums exploring all the different characters. And the last uh, movie with all these characters, specifically in it, the Avengers, uh, really gets people in the feels because uh, there's been so much invested in them and they've had transformations throughout every single story that they've been in, every movie that they've been in, every side quest and bonus scene that we've ever seen from these films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, we're invested in them because of everything they've gone through. Their transformations have made us feel like we know them personally. And when it comes to our worldview and the way that we see the sequence of events in our in our actual life, in reality, uh, that can change and ebb and flow based upon our personal interactions with, with others. You know, the experiences that we have with people that are close to us. Uh, which is why I brought up, you know, Peter and Christopher, because, you know, two brothers, blood brothers, who grow up uh, under the same house and arrive at such different ideologies and philosophies about how the world is supposed to operate. And it could not be any more antagonistic other than maybe the two of them wanted to kill each other, which which I understand from their biographies that that no, they, they actually did not have that. But they did have several moments where uh, they were at each other's throats in terms of, I don't want to ever see you again. You're a mean old cuss and all kinds of stuff like that. But something happens to us personally to cause us to have a certain worldview, right? Like something has to happen to us personally. Uh, there's, I think there's an, sort of an old uh, lie that's out there where you're sort of born into a religion. Um, you can inherit religion. I mean, as far as the Jewish people are concerned, uh, you know, being born of, of Jewish descent, that's one thing. The reality is that any faith or any religion that is set up, being born into it, uh, does not mean that you're necessarily going to be exactly as all the doctrines prescribe as you get older. Because, you know, let's be honest, here in the West, I mean, there's a lot of families that kids are born into a, you know, a Christian household or a Hindu household, both parents, 
and the child grows up and becomes agnostic or chooses to be of some other kind of uh, philosophy or belief structure. And the inverse can be true. You can have parents that are completely atheist, and then they have kids, and the kids grow up and become really strong Christians, or they become, uh, you know, strong Jew- uh, Jewish believers or anything else. I mean, this this idea of, of personal choice, I think, is something that everyone resonates with, regardless if you think that we're a bunch of moist robots and we're just dancing to our DNA. Uh, I love those terms, by the way. I've, I've been I've been stealing those from a lot of uh, theologians that I've been listening to, but I think it's it's so true though, because it, even if you do think that we're nothing but, you know, like I said, the, you know, robots on autopilot, uh, just doing whatever it is that genetics tell us to do, we don't like that. You know, we will deny that in some regard that we do have free will and we can make choices. And when something happens to us that we believe is so innate that it touches us beyond just the flesh and it's something even spiritual that's so intense it's deep inside of us we're willing to make changes for that you know our motivations might change our intentions might change and that's how a lot of characters change in stories is something deeply afflicts them or convicts them inside of their own story and it may be something that happens to you i mean maybe you've been living out something in your life or you thought you were living out something and then something deeply personal happened to you and all of a sudden you took a 180 and you're now going the other direction and you're saying, you know what, I thought I knew this thing and then X happened to me. I thought I had a good handle on on Y and then Z happened to me, right? Because I think very rarely does just straight data uh, dumping and information gathering, I don't think that these kinds of things necessarily change our worldviews. I think it prepares us to to kind of dig deeper into our own bias, dig deeper into... Uh, the camp that we're willing to to defend or the hill we're willing to die on when it comes to our own worldview. It's the personal touch. It's the personal experience, that sort of intimate encounter with with something that really begins to shape how we move forward in life, how we interpret everything that we run into. And I mean, mass marketing can do as much as it wants with stories of people overcoming things or achieving greatness or or uh, doing all kinds of amazing things. But until I think until we personally are face-to-face with those kinds of things and forced to make a decision, will our worldview uh, you know, change or perhaps shift in another direction? I think uh, a really interesting example of this would be the life of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, who was a, a priest, but he served as a spy during World War II during in uh, Nazi Germany, where he uh, really just wasn't really feeling his faith as far as being, a, I think, a pastor or a priest is concerned. And then he ended up going to a few uh, all-black churches in the United States and came to this realization that their type of worship at these churches was... Uh, was resonating on a very spiritual level that he had never experienced before. And when he did, he was more convicted of the, of the truth of, of his own faith. And I think that's just so fascinating that, uh, you know, we can have so much head knowledge about something, but until we actually come face to face with it, when the rubber meets the road, so to speak, when these things come into action, can we really find out where we stand on something uh, when we're confronted with it? And also, if we do feel as convicted about it as we say we are. So this is where, too, I think as a writer, 
I feel like I have uh, a duty. I mean, most writers don't, you know, or would also agree. I think they have like a duty to write, right? Like it's my duty to write and and have people listen to what I say. But there is such a, you know, a task that's there for any writer to feel like I have to be of influence. You know, I, I hope that my writing is of influence. The things that I put out there into the nether realms of the internet uh, that might show up on someone's desk someday or in their in their bathroom stall at work and they're reading my, my work, that it has some bit of value that I'm passing on to someone that it can plant seeds. Because this is, and I guess this is me personally, how I view myself as a writer is that my job is really to, to plant seeds. Okay, my, my job is to plant seeds of uh, with story, with, with fiction, to, to take people on a journey, uh, to let them escape for a while from wherever they are at, but also to imbue something that's good, you know, something that I, I don't want to use the term wholesome because I think that that invites a lot of static into the conversation. Like you're saying you're wholesome, like, oh, it's a Sunday school teacher or I'm reading a kid's book. But it's something that has hope. It's not something that's about despair. It's not glorifying debauchery. Uh, it's talking about messy things, perhaps even dark things. But that's not the capstone of the message, that there is something that can, there is something good that can come out of it. And so as a, as a writer, as an influencer of, of culture, as an influencer of society, this is one of the main things that, that writers do is they plant seeds, they provide information, but then it's up to the reader, you, the listener, you, the viewer, or, or, or uh, you know, getting back to that as a reader, it's up to you to go out and actually test it. Is it true or not? Right? Is it true what I'm being told through the lens of this, this storyteller, through the lens of this author? And if it is true, then I think it can reinforce uh, perhaps the way we see the world, or it can challenge it. And as I've said probably in other episodes, having our own views of the world challenged is a very dangerous uh, thing for us because we like the comfort of predictability and we like thinking that we're right all the time. And it's, it's not an easy thing to, su- to succumb to the idea that, well, maybe I don't know everything that I say I do, <laughs> especially when everything is only a Google search away in, uh, in the 21st century, for now anyway. <laughs> so, uh, so on that wonderful note, my, my capstone message of hope, uh, this was my uh, fifth episode of The Narrative Wars on how do we develop our worldview filters. And uh, I guess in summation, just one more time, it's personal experience. It's reading the breadcrumbs of other people's experiences, ideas, engaging with them, and then actually seeing where that intimate experience lines up with it or not. If it does line up, then, uh, like I said, we, we kind of dig in a little bit more or we find ourselves being challenged. So these are, our, these are just some of the ways, I would say, that our worldviews end up becoming developed, much like uh, the Hitchens brothers who I referenced at the beginning of this and how they had two very different personal experiences, despite the fact that they were both brothers, blood brothers, and this whole genetic thing's going on with them, or their brothers, uh, they arrived at very different places on the spectrum of ideology. So that does and can happen. And it, and it happens every day. So that's just something important to remember. So hope you enjoy this episode on The Writer's Lens. More narrative wars to be coming. I'm doing these pretty much about every other week. Uh, as apart from the main series I'm, I'm on right now. So good stuff on the horizon. I will be featured on another podcast here in a couple weeks. Uh, so talking, uh, being created in the image of God with a couple of gentlemen creatives here 
in uh, Northeast Ohio. So I'm looking forward to that. So check out for that soon. And as always, uh, you know, like, share, subscribe, let other people know about the content. That would be awesome. Uh, just keep letting people know about this podcast. And again, I appreciate all the support, folks, uh, who's been listening in, especially you, listener, who's been checking this out. So again, this is Josh J. Scofelto for The Writer's Lens. These were the Narrative Wars. I will talk with you guys again soon. Thank you.